This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child, we really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. We're sitting down today with Diego Bernal. Oh, we're already recording. All right. <laughs> We've been recording. Oh. Um, so I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thank good, you for coming back. Yeah, good. That was pretty stealthy, my man. That I was know. Good. Yeah. And, yeah, thank you for coming back. So sure. I'm sitting down. I'm talking to Diego. I have my friend Rachel here too. Um, Rachel's going to be in the background feeding me questions because she's smarter than I am. <laughs> Doing um, sign language. Yeah, her. she's going to be she's shaking a, her head, giving me living, thumbs up. She's the, <laughs> yeah. the lie detector she, in the back. Yeah, she's cheering right now. Um, so thanks, guys, for being here. Uh, Rachel's here because she she kind of geeks out about school finance, and I love that about her. And she asks really smart, intelligent questions um, that I don't always think of because I'm not always thinking big picture about finance. I'm really thinking about what's happening at school. Um, and sometimes that is – it trickles down, right? And so sometimes it's I will ask to. a big question, and other times I'm like, I really don't care how that happened. I just need to know what I can do right now with what I have. Right. Um, but I will say that this legislative session, everybody is calling it historic, which is kind of a big deal. That's a big word. That's a big word. It is a big word. I think we'll see. It, it, it can be. It could be. I mean, we. I think the status quo could be permanently different because of it. doesn't mean that we don't have challenges ahead of us. doesn't mean there's not things to fix. There's not things to monitor and make sure we get right. I'm sure we're going to have to go back and fix and adjust some things. We'll learn that. Maybe the way something's drafted or the way it's deployed doesn't work the way we expect that it to. But overall, it is significant change from the way things have been. So, um, you know, excited to be a part of it, but also you have the you feel the responsibility of making sure it works the way that's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it was so different this time around? Like, what what were the conditions set that made it well, able to happen? There's this two, time? There's, and what happened? Maybe yeah. you just start with yeah, what happened. What so, is the historic so thing that happened? Well, the historic thing that happened is that is that um, 
we passed uh, school finance reform that's not grant based. So in the past, we've done things for education, but they've been built. They've been based on a set amount of money that we hope would be replenished. And then if it wasn't, whatever it was it is that we did, then you just lose it again. Disappears. It's just and gone. Our previous pre-K effort was like that. A lot of what we did this time was bake things into the formula, which means that the money always has to be appropriated by the state to do these things. And if they don't want to do it, it can't just be, oh, we've run out of money. You have to go pass a bill to change the law so you don't fund it, which is a very, very hard thing to do. So the structure of school finances is different. And that structure is, is different in a way that should produce different results and experiences at school. So whether it's funding pre-K, whether it's funding comp ed or, or the money we put aside for for essentially poor kids and, yeah. and socioeconomically disabled kids, you're going to focus more on the school and the student instead of just the district, which has, I think, always been a mistake. Uh, so there's, there are things like that that are now formula-funded, formula-based, and, and that's a significant change. At the same time, what's different is, one, we had a lot more money to play with that we didn't have before, and the other thing is that we had an election. Yeah. We had an election that saw the the makeup of the House in particular change pretty drastically. So we went from 55 Democrats out of a body of 150 to, well, we picked up 12 seats. And so, and I think a lot of that were people sort of reflecting on the sort of bathroom bill conversation and the SB4 anti-immigrant conversation mm-hmm. and saying, that's not why we send you guys, that's not what we send right. you to do. That's not your job. Yeah. Right. We want you to focus on things that matter, education, healthcare, so forth. So I don't know if the state's turning blue, but I do think that there are a lot of Republicans who voted for Democrats, right? Yeah, Because totally. they said, I don't care where people pee. Yeah, right? exactly. I don't care where people pee. It's not, it, that's a, that's a dumb thing to focus on. such a dumb thing You're focusing on, on bathrooms instead of classrooms. Right. And, and so I think that message was loud, loud and clear. And a lot of us, including me, have been saying for a long time that school finance has to be our number one priority, if not top two, along with healthcare. And that's true for most Texans. And I think they just let us know to focus on the stuff that matters. And we did. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, what, so what's it like? Just tell me about your experience. Like you, earlier when you got here, you said, I'm still tired. Like you've been home. Yeah. How long have you been home? A week. And you're still tired. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean it's just Like why? Way. What is it like? What are what's, what has your experience been like? Well, my experience started um, years ago because after my first session, you know this. Yeah. I went and visited all the schools in the district and talked to them about what significant, meaningful change would look like in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Not from the funding level, not from the district level, but what would it look like in the classroom? How would I know, how would they know that whatever we did was working? So they gave me this great list. And I think that that exercise allowed me to get on the radar of the of then Speaker Joe Strauss, who made me vice chair of Pub Ed right. um, last session. Now, we worked on a school finance bill then, which was about $2 billion, maybe a little more than $2 billion in new money, and that died. And this session, how much new money? Oh, well, we're, I mean, it depends on how you count it, but <laughs> I think that it's safe to say something close to, for education, something close to six. Um, but we did, we did school finance that session. It died. But in return, we got the Governor's Commission on School Finance, which I thought was dumb. That was a dumb idea. <laughs> I didn't think we need to study anymore. We yeah. all know what we need to do. Uh, to me, it felt like we were kicking the can down the road. And in 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 his defense, I was wrong. Um, spending all that time together, talking to all those experts and educators, did wonders for us. One because even if it, even if they were reiterating things we already knew, it peeled away 
people's preconceived political notions, right? And so, for mm -hmm. example, on pre-K, regardless of your thoughts on pre-K before, you're left with, at the end of that process, you're left with this undeniable understanding yeah. that pre-K is the closest thing to an educational equalizer that we have. Yes. There's no way around it. Right. So job one, pre-K, right? Yes. So in that way, um, the School Finance Commission was great. During that time there was an election, things changed. People heard loud and clear that school finance was was uh, one of the state's Highest priorities. priority. Right. Um, you, you then also get the a new speaker in Dennis Bonin. And also... The governor and lieutenant governor's races didn't track one another. Normally, they they look the same. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the governor was easily way more popular than the lieutenant governor, mm -hmm. who had led the charge on bathrooms and yeah. anti-immigrant yeah. stuff. So uh, I feel like the entire legislature sort of got its marching orders. But the Republicans in particular realized they had to back away from some of the social issue stuff and focus on things that mattered because they're in charge. And they've been in charge sure. for about a quarter century. So, um, so here we are, right? We've got... More revenue, or we're willing to spend revenue mm -hmm. because we've had revenue before. We're willing to spend more revenue. We have a school finance commission. Um, Dan Huberty and I, Chairman Huberty and I, had been on, had done school finance before. We did the school finance commission together. Dennis Bonnet said, "You two guys are going to do it again." And the House and the House Public Education Committee wrote the bill. We wrote HB three, and it came from the House, and that was an incredible experience. Then it got sent to the Senate, and changed a little bit <laughs> the governor added a few things um, it became uh, a sort of hybrid between school finance and what people are calling property tax relief and um, we found a way to make it work and now it's i don't think the governor signed it yet but he will yeah so what's the big compromise between school finance and property tax relief well i don't know if Explain it's a, a little bit about i don't know the if it's a compromise it's, the relationship is that the bill the bill has new money for school finance that's built into the formula. So when I say new money, I mean additional features in school finance that are formula funded. And then on top of that, there is a lot of money to help compress or lower the tax rate that you're that's assessed to um, individual districts. So mm -hmm. if SEISD, for example, is at a dollar seventeen tax rate, the bill will compress that tax rate to let's say a uh, dollar nine. Or lower. It just depends. But there, in order to do that, you, the state has to pay money. Right. So it's coming from the state as opposed to the from the local taxpayer. And in this way, what's interesting about it, even though some people don't like the property tax relief part of it, because even though we're spending billions, you're not going to see a significant change, change. in your tax bill. Mm -hmm. But what is interesting is that because of the work, I think, that started the session prior, people really understand the relationship or that there is a relationship between school finance and property taxes. Yeah. They get it. Yeah. So now the state share will go from, let's say, 36% to about 45, 46, 47%. And so even if even if folks don't like the property tax part of it, the fact that the state is stepping up and assuming more of its right. share of pub ed dollars, that's, that's a positive thing. That's a positive thing. And right. it's a huge improvement. Yeah. It's a big it's improvement. It's a big improvement. So, so in other words... There's money that there's money that as a taxpayer you'll see somewhat of a shift even if it's just the chart you yeah. realize that the state's right. picking up more share but as an educator or a student you should see new things in your classroom. Yeah. So what does the school have discretion over? Like what if, what is a school district or school system or school building like what? They have a they have a lot of discretion. 
uh, they have a lot of discretion on the way that money is spent, but there are some things that money is for. Mm-hmm. So there's money for full day pre K, but some districts Hallelujah. Already, but but some districts are already offering full day pre K. Yeah. So they can either use that money to supplant their pre K money right. and do and then they reallocate else, that right, or they can keep the program they've got. Uh, make sure it's high quality because you've got to check all those boxes. Full day high quality, but then they can use it on kindergarten, first grade, second grade um, to get those kids up to speed or to catch them up as well. One of the things that we realized and that I learned on my tours was that a lot of schools will take their weaker teachers and put them into K through two because they're opposite not, needs to happen, right? Because they're not tested. So right. the way the money is set up is do pre K, but if you're already doing pre K, you can use it for these other grades to. Yeah. to to fortify your programs. So schools have discretion over that. Um, you know, there's teacher pay raise money. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it doesn't, it, it, there's not a lot dictated on who exactly it has to go to and what amount, just that teachers, counselors, librarians, and nurses have to be the ones that get, get it. the raise. And then teachers in particular who've been teaching for six years or more should get more. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. But, but the dollar amount is different per district than we were talking about before. Part of that's because... Districts start their teachers off at different amounts yeah. across the state. Like we were saying, I don't know if you recorded it already, but I don't know. The, but you know, some 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 districts are still starting their teachers off in the low in the high thirties, yeah, and some are starting them off in the low sixties, yeah, it's, or high fifties. Discrepancy is huge, right? So you have to be able to adjust for that. And every district is not going to be in the same place in terms of their, their financial games because of the bill. So uh, this allows districts to get that right, but says at a minimum, though, these four groups in this one veteran group have to get more money and it has to be money that isn't a grant. It's a permanent mm-hmm. raise. And there's also money, um, there's also discretionary money in there for them to offer raises to their other full-time employees, but we don't tell them how or who. But or how much, there. nothing. Right. Yeah. We're just saying, here's a pot of money, here's a pot of money that you're getting. You have to use X percent on, on these, these four. four groups and then Y percent on, if you want to, on Everybody this other else. FTE. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then talk about teacher mentoring. Oh yeah. So one of the something really cool for me is because I'm because I'm on I'm the vice chair of Pub Ed, you would think I would get to pass a lot of bills <laughs> of my own. But I spent so much time doing school finance and so much time helping people with their bills, I didn't really have a chance to double down on my own. So I was able to put about five of my bills into HB three. Cool. Right. So one of them is the teacher mentorship bill which um, creates a high-quality teacher mentorship program uh, for first-year teachers where they get mentored by uh, a veteran teacher or a master teacher. But mentoring is not, hey, say, how are you today? Hey, how are you? How was your day? It, it's really, um, there's, there's significant metrics. And there's also money so that you can hire a sub every once in a while. That's brilliant. So that, let's say you're the master teacher and I'm the rookie, I get to go to your classroom and watch you teach. Mm-hmm. And then at a different point, you get to come to my classroom and watch me teach. And then we sort of exchange notes and talk about what worked and doesn't work. This is really... It's really important. It's super I, important. I, it, it's kind of foolish that it doesn't already exist and happen, but it, it is because there's not a structure for it. There's like not a structure. You have to ask people to give up planning time right. in order to make that happen. Right. You have to... You have it's to, not an easy thing to do. It's, it's not. And what we've learned is if you do it this way, it has a significant impact on teacher retention. And reducing teacher turnover, which is exactly why we did it. So um, we're excited about, we're really excited about that. Uh, another one that I'm super excited about, which is sort of left field a little bit, but the bill pays for the first administration of the ACT and the SAT. 
also really cool. But because so much of the bill also focuses on dropout recovery, credit uh-huh. recovery, and sort of dealing, especially with some of these charter schools that focus on that population, it's also going to pay for the first administration of the GED or the high school equivalency, Very which was another one of my bills, right? <laughs> because we, you know, we've got the GED brunch that happens yeah. here. Yeah. My mom was a part of that group of that's ladies awesome. who fundraises. So um, that's another bill of ours that we just said, let's just put it in. And of course, you know, people bought off on it, but that's a small feature. I mean, it's a small feature financially, but symbolically and and the way it's going to help people, I think, is pretty big. So we're excited about it. That's really exciting. I could go on forever. You're going to have to stop. Oh, no. I want you to go no, on forever. No, stop me, please. No, I really do. I really yeah. want, No, I want you to go uh, on forever. It's okay. There's a, I mean, we're already talking about all the things that are here. So uh, please continue. No. What else? What's your favorite thing? What's What's the best part? The what's... best – there's there's two best parts for me. And one's kind of controversial. One's not. I'd start with I like that controversy. Part. Yeah. The one that's not is – um, we're moving away from measuring poverty through free and reduced lunch. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And for those of you who are from San Antonio, um, think of it this way. Jefferson, where we went, mm-hmm. uh, great school, um, lots of poor kids, lots of working class kids, lots of blue collar kids, and Lanier yeah. um, look the same on paper. Right. Totally and they're, and, and they're not. No. They're not. I'm not saying that Jeff doesn't have his problems. No, it does. I totally understand. But, but it's not the it's, same. It's com- it's another world. It, it's not even in the same. It's, a, it's just a different. It's just a different. It's a different it's depth of different poverty, things. right? The, yes. The the generational poverty that surrounds those mm-hmm. those two places are different, and so there has to be a way to acknowledge that, and there has to be a way to acknowledge that that kids who live in and around generational poverty need more help. They're just as smart. They're just as right. able. They're just as gifted. They're innately capable. But you have to recognize what those challenges are and fund the things necessary. To help them overcome mm-hmm. those challenges. So we're moving away from free and reduced lunch and to something that SEISD has been doing for a good minute now, which is a spectrum weight, right. which is using the census block where kids live as a way to determine how much comp ed money they get. Mm-hmm. And and so we're doing that. It, that's going to kick in. It's going to take about a year or two to ramp up because we've got to get the infrastructure there. We have to allow districts to figure out who their kids are, send TEA the data. But the idea that you're putting more resources in the places and to the students that need it is really, really important. That way, you're you're no longer looking at um, just a big district because even within districts, Northeast is a great example of having a lot of diversity within a district socioeconomically um, to focusing not even on the campus but the kid as well. so that's so. What does super that mean, exciting. like in terms of what can what can you spend that extra money on? You can you can spend it on the same things that you could before, although there is some more flexibility in it, so that you can use some of it um, to help re- so keep like and re- recruit teachers. Programming, mm-hmm. you can spend it on. Yeah, staffing, you can spend it on. So if you wanted to hire a social worker on your campus, that is something you could potentially do. Yeah, but to that point, um, you know, because of a lot of the the tragedies that we've endured mm-hmm. over the past two years, especially with school shootings, there's a whole other school safety bill that has money for counselors like and social workers. I mean, maybe not as much as we'd like, but I think that that interplayed with this. If you mm-hmm. if you need to do a, if you need to hire a family specialist, for example, or a parent teacher liaison, you could do that. And then, um, so that's that's the that's the non controversial part. The controversial part um, is sort of premised on the same thing, which is getting the students who need the most help 
the, the help. best help, mm-hmm. right? And that is the they're calling it a merit pay system. I I like to call it an incentive pay system. Mm-hmm. It's optional. Let me just say these caveats. One, it's optional. Districts don't have to do it. Two, it does not require the use of star or star scores or standardized test scores whatsoever. Um, that being said, if districts want to do it, they can evaluate their teachers to figure out who their most effective teachers are or even who their most effective teachers are for st- certain student population. Are they creating the criteria for yes, it is, it is. It is. Well, yes and no. One, it's a locally developed evaluation. Um, the centerpiece would be T-tests, but they then have to send mm-hmm. their evaluation system to Texas Tech, which I think everyone agrees has one of the best teacher preparation programs mm-hmm. in the state, to make sure that it's kind of normalized across the state, yeah. right? In other words, yeah, you, you can't exactly. have wildly different right. metrics. Right. But locally developed assessment, uh, not assessment, locally development evaluation system, you evaluate your teachers. You then create a, a ranking, a mm-hmm. band of teachers. So it's, you know, let's say it's zero stars um, to three stars. And of course, I don't even think you can be eligible for it until you've been teaching for two or three years. So you can't just, rookie yeah. teachers aren't even Sorry. eligible. Sorry, guys. Yeah, unless, unless they've got the IB certification. Right. Right. But so what happens is based on your on your, on your your ranking or your, I call it band because I'm thinking of an Excel yeah, yeah. spreadsheet, right? Uh-huh. So based on the band you're in, um, you would get an extra amount of money. So if you're a, a one-star teacher, you get X amount more than before to more than that. So let's say it's $3,000, $9,000, and $12,000 more just for being that teacher, right, for being that effective. Yeah. The second half of that is that then we've identified schools based on their concentration of poverty or mm-hmm. in a rural setting where it's super sparse, it's hard to attract people, it's hard to keep people right. there. I mean, there's some schools that can't get a bilingual educator. Yeah, the educator. rate is crazy. Yeah. Well, there, no, one no, one move, wants no one wants to move out yeah. there, right? So you get extra money for going to those schools. So theoretically, a three-star teacher can go to a school like Lanier and make mm-hmm. $36,000 more than before. That's a lot of money on top of your salary. Yeah, and it doesn't have, I mean, it, it can be, you know, so you can do whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. combination you want. Yeah. You can be a one-star yeah, yeah. teacher and go to Jeff and get X amount. But the, but the point is that it's supposed to incentivize and promote this idea that you send your most skilled people to the schools in front of the kids that need them the, mo- the most. And we're hoping that along with all the other things that are happening in the school finance bill, that it creates an environment um, that's generally better for everybody anyway. So, so yeah. that it's a good experience all the way around. So you said that's like the controversial part. So what, yeah. what were the opposers? Like what were they saying? What mm. is the feeling? Like why is it controversial? Well, part, part of it was that people wanted to make sure – I understood this. People wanted to make sure that, you, that we weren't using STAR as a metric. So could school districts say this is the optional metric I want to use? They could. Uh, and the reason why we couldn't say – some people wanted us to say – like you pro- will not use. Right. But the reason why you can't do that is because Dallas is doing this already. And STAR accounts for 15, 10% of their evaluation system. And so it would destroy what they're doing in Dallas. We think it's a local decision. Mm-hmm. Some people don't mind STAR. Some people do. Some people are waiting to see if STAR is a valid instrument, which is another and bill I had. there was a lot of talk about the validity of yeah, STAR. Yeah. So, so I had that. I carried that bill, right? And we put that into HB3, which is you're going to evaluate STAR and determine whether or not it's a it's a reliable instrument mm-hmm. if it is okay and if it's not then we need to do figure something else or figure out. it out but that's that's in hb3 also is that that rely it's a it's a reading reliability right. validity right. study it's actually kind of cool but um 
Yeah. I love how much you geek out about this stuff. I wish everybody could see him talking because it's like pure passion and it's kind of fun to watch. And Rachel, I wish you, you could see Rachel behind him because she is like nodding her I can, head furiously. I, I can see her. And like can, her hand motions are like, her, yes. Yeah, her head and her, her, yeah, her like, hands are in my really, peripheral. It's really, I'm having such a good time. I'm just going to sit here and watch and let you guys <laughs> animate this conversation. Yeah. So, so they don't have to use Star. And I suspect that most of them will find ways to do it without Star. And I'm fine with that. Um, I'm not a big fan. One of the one of the things that almost happened that didn't was there was a proposal to give schools money based on their star performance of their third graders in order to fund pre-K, and that was wildly unpopular. That and, is a killer move. Yeah, that was wildly unpopular. And we were we were lucky to kill that, and so that almost snowballed into this other part, which is let's just leave star out of this completely. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just not do that. Not only because it's so unpopular, but also because maybe the test isn't measuring what it's supposed to the right way anyway. Right. So we were able to dodge that bullet or series of bullets. That was kind of cool. So that, that was, was actually one really opposition. Cool. Like, we don't want to use Star. Were there other arguments um, there why are, this shouldn't happen? Yeah. I mean, I think there are some folks, I don't want to say teacher groups because that would be unfair, but there are some there are some pockets of people throughout the state that don't believe you should pay teachers differently, that they should sort of make the same based on pure seniority. And I understand that. But as far as I'm concerned, having gone to almost elementary and to Arnold and to Tafoya mm-hmm. and to Brack and to Jeff, um, there are problems that our school has been facing for generations. And yeah. we have not, no one has come up with a way to fix it. No one has come up with a way to fix the idea that poor African-American Latino kids often, often find themselves in schools that are overly populated right. with brand new teachers, many of whom did not go to school to be teachers. And somehow we're okay with that. Yeah. I'm looking for a way to solve that problem. And when I put it that way, people understand, even if they yeah. don't like the way that it's done, they understand the spirit behind it. And so for me, that's the spirit behind it. On top of that, because you can make theoretically so much more money, I think it does help change the the prestige of the profession. I agree. I think it, I think it allows people. And also, some of our best educators will say, the only way for me to make more money is to leave the classroom that's and become right. an administrator. Yeah. And in this way, we're saying there's a way to make more money and stay in, in the, the classroom. classroom. Especially if you're really good at instructional yeah, it, stuff. You ex- leave the classroom exactly. sometimes and you recognize like, oh, man. I don't have the right skill set for other things that happen outside of the classroom, but right. I'm fantastic at instruction. Right. And so we, we want to create an environment where they stay. They can have a great career as a teacher, support their family, uh, have the prestige that other professions that honestly aren't as hard mm-hmm. get. Uh, I would argue easily that being a teacher is harder than being a lawyer. <laughs> for sure. I've never been a lawyer, but I'm going to agree with you. No. I let <laughs> I mean, not, not, uh-huh. nothing against lawyers, but but uh, teaching is just incredibly hard. I mean, you it's are super hard. you're not dealing with fully rational human beings because they're nine or they're eight or they're fifteen, and they're just not fully rational to begin with. And then you're trying to convince them that what you are trying to give them is something that's really valuable and useful, and that they should probably figure out how to tune into what you're doing. And you can't, that's not an easy sell all right. the time because they're always thinking of the 10 other things they could be doing. Right. It's not easy. So that alone makes it not an easy profession. But then you are also adding in the fact that you are really doing brain work. Like right. You are literally having to understand the way a child develops and the way that your brain functions and the kinds of connections you need to make right. and in you're order doing it- to make learning sustainable and long-lasting. And you really are – it's a craft. It's It's – 
Absolutely. It's a scientific craft. And it's you're not doing just it, you're doing it twenty to thirty brains at a time. And they're all very different. Right. And they're in different places at different times. Yeah. That's why when I when I was talking about being tired, I was like, all the teachers listening, like, oh, boo-hoo, this guy is tired because he walked around and talked a lot for a few months, right? I get it. I get it. I get uh, it. Changing I'm not, adult minds is hard, too. Not, I, just I need, feel like that's what you do. You're just, out there changing the minds of adults, and we are just trying to well, craft a mind. I mean, that's why I was – when thinking, you said that the kids were irrational, I was like, well, I don't know if that changes. Well, yeah. Uh, the adults aren't that rational. Well, I think you but just I, get set in your ways, right? And then you're like, no. I, I at, Plus, it's hard to convince somebody – yeah. It's just hard to convince somebody when you, especially when you feel like, well, what, what do you know about teaching if you're not in the classroom, right? So right. you have a lot of people that are making big decisions about education that aren't necessarily educators. But it's one of my favorite things about what you do because you go to the school and you sit down and you talk and you talk. You don't just talk to your colleagues. You're talking to the professions that are actually doing the day-to-day yeah. stuff. And I feel like that matters immensely. It changes everything. Um, listening to the right people figuring out who they are is changed everything. And again, going back to the School Finance Commission, hearing from educators over and over again, I think, was the most valuable part. Because you're going to hear from experts, you know, in quotations, right? Experts are going to hear from uh, different professors and people who study it from think tanks. And some of them have their own agenda or certainly have their own agenda. But when you finally got to sit down and talk with the educators, I mean, you can't argue with their experience. Right. Even if if you don't like what they're saying – you, were you going to tell them that they're wrong? Go right. go like, live okay. their life. Exactly. Good Come luck. sit in my room yeah. and watch this happen, and then you can figure that, that out. That was so powerful and helpful, honestly, mm-hmm. um, for us. So you've already done a few updates, right? Community updates? I did one. Uh, yeah, I did one on Saturday. And then what's happening is neighborhood associations and different groups like the chambers are wanting f- for me to give a – your listeners know I'm long-winded. <laughs> and I'm, I'm discovering how long-winded I am. <laughs> They're asking for a sort of truncated version, right? <laughs> a uh, a shortened version of uh, of the presentation. So I'll be around town probably the next two or three months talking. So what about, was the feedback you got on Saturday? Um, I think people were just really curious. We we also spent time talking about other bills that we passed because mm-hmm. we know that school finance can sort of overshadow. We said, look, there's also some these other good things over here that we passed, waiting for the governor to sign, and then we jumped into school finance, talked about the bills that we tucked into it, and then. The overall effect of it. I think people are, um, they're relatively happy with it. Yeah. I think a lot of people rightfully are kind of, I'll believe it when I see it, folks. And um, Well, yeah, because I think, you know, you still have to make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like you still have to, yeah. Yeah, and there's big parts of it that have one, two, three-year ramp-ups. Mm-hmm. So the comp ed part doesn't happen right away. Now, the comp ed weight went up a little bit for yeah. everybody, but the comp ed, the spectrum weight part, takes a year or two to 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 get going. So um, what I tell people is the best measure is going to be what your experience was like in the classroom. And I don't care what anyone else has to say. You guys will tell us if it's working the way it's supposed to or not. So for next legislative session, like what's the work that has to happen again? Yeah. Like you know, what do we have to – I act like I'm – I act like that's – I mean I'm, obviously we're not done. No. Like it's not so, – So my list of things to work on um, for next legislative session – uh, I think we could do more for ELL students who aren't in dual language situations and whose schools can't offer even one-way dual language. Yeah. So we need but to... Use, right. It's really frustrating to me. I, I was in a school, I think I told this story already, but I'm going to say it again, where it was high school and a student spoke Farsi at home. They were r- relatively new to the country, but not recent 
immigrants. They were probably been here four years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, fluent English speakers. All right, in terms of reading and writing English, but they couldn't pass the state yeah. exam mm-hmm. because they're not proficient. They're not proficiently literate, right? But there's nothing. They don't have side-by-side materials. They're not. It's sheltered English instruction, so they're still getting English instruction. Um, they're not practicing English at home. They're still speaking another language. We don't have a program that's a deep program specifically designed for that student's experience. Right. So so I think ELL students have to be ELL students who whose schools weren't and won't or can't even establish a one-way dual language program. We need to do more for them. There's still a lot of work to be done in special ed. I think the, the state had been really, really bad on special ed spending and, and even monitoring. And so there's a part of the bill that I think helps get us closer to where we need to be, but it requires a deeper dive than I think those students deserve. So we have to do that. And again, there's parts of this bill that have one, two, three-year ramp-ups. We have to look at what, see what that looks like and make sure we get it right. And then if we're being honest, this is expensive. Mm-hmm. It just is. A lot of people are freaked out about how expensive it is and are worried that we're not going to be able to afford it. I think it's, I see it as a challenge. You know, if, if Democrats were in charge, one of the first things that we would do is try to identify different revenue sources to fund the things that we know are, are important, like healthcare mm-hmm. and education. We're just, whether in a bipartisan way, we're going to have to start to do that now. So let's just get on with it. I don't fear it. I just, I'm tired of talking about it. We just need to do it. Yeah. yeah. Like what other revenue sources? Yeah. Would Yeah. Oh, you want, you want, yeah, a, I want to know. You want a list? Yeah, I want a list. You want to know where I would start? Yeah. Okay. So uh, right now we give sales tax exemptions to more things than we collect on. So we collect less than we exempt. So I think we collect about $45 billion and we exempt like $48 billion. What? And a lot of people believe that if you – Add sales tax to those to those industries or all industries um, that would change the sort of business environment in Texas because that's part of what makes Texas so competitive is that sure. we we exempt a lot of this stuff. Now I would I'm not advocating for things like uh, like groceries for example and utility bills like those don't have that sales tax on mm-hmm. them. I'm not advocating that. But what would it look like if we took some of the other things like professional services, architect services, lawyer services, veterinary services? computer programming services, polling services. Maybe maybe you don't go 8% on them, right? Yeah. Maybe you don't give them the whole thing. But what if you did a quarter or a half cent per? Mm-hmm. Would that be enough to generate sustainable income to and revenue to to support what we're doing right now? I, I suspect considering how much we, f- we forego, mm-hmm. that it is, right? Yeah. We don't need to find $30 billion, so that would be okay. We need the, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, one of the so I, I think we should do that. One of the proposals was just to raise this the, the the sales tax of what's already taxed by one cent. Um, and that and that was Rachel said no. Yeah. Well, Stop it. <laughs> and and that failed because one I didn't I didn't support it, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't support that because it's regressive. I think I think all taxes to some degree are regressive, yeah. but in that case, the split between what a poor household would be paying and getting versus what a middle class or a wealthier household would be paying and getting was uneven. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's a way to do it because there's no such thing as a tax that doesn't hit some people more than others. It's just not. 
But in that case, the benefit enjoyed by wealthier and even upper middle class folks would be almost would be subsidized mm -hmm. in large part by people who aren't property owners who don't own property that are worth more than let's say one hundred seventy five thousand dollars. So it it just was so uneven. If there was a way to even it out, I think we could live with it. But that's why I'm suggesting something small like a quarter cent or a half cent so it's not felt a whole lot. It's spread yeah. out over a lot of industries, but it, it generates enough uh, revenue to support what we're doing. So that's where I would start. I want I'm just curious about it. Yeah. I could be wrong. It could look terrible, but um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to do it that's gentle, that doesn't upset the other side the other side and make them say no, but also gets us the money we need to keep going. Yeah. I feel like people are still really watching what we're doing. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Like, do you I, feel I love like, it. Yeah. I love it because I, in the past, the legislature has been a big black box of people disappearing into. People have no right. idea what's happening. Now people many, are really paying attention. How many attention. people came to your, to your update on Saturday? Oh, like 110. I mean, I feel like that alone is a big deal. That that many people. Yeah, normally yeah. I'm like, no, I tell my staff, prepare for 25. <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's a lot of people. It was a lot of it's people. A, it's a lot of people to talk about something that is like pretty niche i mean it's yeah, i mean it's you have to really kind of yeah and and it was, know, you know, it was and a saturday morning and, yeah 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 so i no. feel like that alone says something that people really do want to know what's i happening. think that's right my staff pulled me aside and said you need to understand that you're not this popular right <laughs> like this is not about you like i understand thank you very much for that i'm fully aware so not I, just really, I feel like it's a really good energy in san antonio about education in mm -hmm. general and that people really do want to figure out how to make it better. We've always cared but, the most, though. San Antonio's always cared the most. All, all the school finance lawsuits come from this city. Exactly. Right? We we care. And also, because we have so many damn districts, it's, it's very, very easy to look from one side of town to another and see the obvious differences, and that yeah. upsets people. Yeah. And so they people, San Antonio's always been way more keyed in to education than we've ever gotten credit for. And I know this because when I was first running for city council way back when, and you remember... Yeah. I was knocking on doors saying, tell me about the issues that are important to you. And nine times out of 10, they'd start with education. I'd very gently say that wasn't yes. the role of city council. Right. But it didn't mean that before it was their sidewalk, before they right. said crime, before they talked about drainage or right. stray chihuahuas or potholes or yeah. graffiti. It's always, well, my school. It was, yeah, I want my kid to get the best education possible. Or if their kids were out of school, I want these kids to get the best education possible. It's always been something we care about. I feel like we're really redefining what the best education possible is too. And so I feel like in broad terms, parents will say, I want I want my student to experience the best education that they can get. But then I also feel like there hasn't been tons of conversation about what what is that? What is the best education your student can get? And now people are... I feel like there's so much choice in San Antonio that there's some comparison points that parents are making, good or bad. Yeah. And then and then there the conversation comes back to, okay, well let me think really hard about what the best educational experience yeah. Yeah. is. I think I think that's true, but I also think that there's a lot of folks who are lending themselves to that narrative that aren't helping. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're saying this is better and because parents don't often have a they don't have like the, they don't like have the deep understanding of what right. do you mean when you say because now because now so much of education on the other on the on the administrative side is marketing oh, and that's totally. really un, that's really unfortunate right because people are selling things as being better when they aren't or if they are it's because they're doing something um, that might benefit one group of students and really really disadvantages another group of students and so 
I've always said that I'm like an access guy, right? That to the extent that every student has a shot at something that's at a minimum high quality, yeah, then I'm okay. Yeah. But, uh, one of I, one of my other sort of subterranean fights this session was to push back against folks who I felt like were trying to offer a certain educational experience at the expense of other students. Mm-hmm. Like that's that shit's never going to be okay with no. me, right? No, and it, it it happens even in big systems because even oh, yeah. big systems will create a, cho- a, for a sure. choice system that is for sure really challenging for all of the Look, other just neighborhood to, schools. In- so we had a huge fight with the charter schools about their use of students past disciplinary history because mm-hmm. they you know one of my arguments was there's good charter schools and there's charter schools that curate their student body sure. right and that's and if you're doing that on the taxpayer dime that's, that's not okay not cool. and honestly way more of them do that than they're willing to admit and this is what we learned this session because we said you shouldn't be able to look back that far you shouldn't there shouldn't be a student trying to get into a high school like a ninth grade and you're seeing that they got into a fist fight when they were in fifth grade, and that's why you're not going to let them in. Yeah, it's not cool. They do that, though. Not all. Some of them it's do that. Cool. And so in trying to get them to not look back as far, they said, well, we'll compromise at three. At three years. Well, the fact that you're compromising at three means that you were looking further back. Mm-hmm. But their point, and to their credit, their point was some of your public school, traditional public school, choice schools do the same thing. Yep. And I had I said, okay, well, they shouldn't be allowed to do it either. But then the other side is, but the scale is different, right? So if there's three or four choice schools, maybe even 10 choice schools per district, there's, you know, 16 charter schools inside that district. And so, but but my point is, and they know this about me, you know, you're not anti-charter. You're just, you're, I'm an access guy. As long as every student has the ability to go without you finding some way to keep them out, Okay. Right? Yeah, that's and we important. can coexist. Right, but but if if you're going to look back six years or five years into a kid's disciplinary history and say that's why they can't come, well, we're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's true if you're a charter school, and that's true if you're at Northeast or SAISD or yeah. Judson or wherever you might be, right? Like you just cannot, like you were saying, you cannot take these young, irrational minds. You cannot. And use, some, and use something they did when they were eight Right. As a way to keep or hold them, them accountable for what a reasonable, right. rational, well-developed, right. mature person would do. Right. So that's also, by the way, that's also something that we're going to work on next session if I'm back, which is that we're going to make sure that students have access to whatever amazing opportunities are there and to make sure that adults aren't curating kids uh, to, de- yeah. to, to create environments. I feel that- like there's a shift happening around that already because I'm sitting on the founding board of the gathering place. And I, I will tell you that I, I joke because I'm like, I'm accidentally sitting on this board. <laughs> when they ask me about the sitting on the board, I'm like, um, I freaking love these two uh, young people who are very entrepreneurial, who are very education-minded and instructionally sound. And they asked for my um, my ISD perspective and my academic expertise to come and, and sit on this founding board. And I said, yes, I will do that. I didn't, I did not know because I am naive in this way, what all the work would entail. And I will tell you, like, it's an amazing process that they've gone through. I watched all of the charter defenses before we had to go sit through ours. And every single time the panel asked the proposed charter, are you going to look at student discipline as an entry point? Um, and so I feel like that is a step in the right direction, at least. Yeah. That it, the question's being asked and people are having to 
really explain what they're going to do or what they're proposing to do. I will also say that I was like, holy shit, all these questions I never had to answer as a big, as a leader of a school. Um, I, I, I really, I don't even think I really had to think through them very often. Um, so sitting down and listening to the panelists ask question about the phonetic basis of literacy, um, having people ask questions about really thoughtful school design and whether or not we're thinking through diversity and equity and inclusion in that school design. Those are not things that you typically have to talk through when you become the school leader in a big system because it's already sort of established. And if they're, if you're being pushed on it, it's because there's a problem there. So that's the only time you're going to get pushed on those big questions I felt like, like I didn't have to speak that language unless there was a problem that I had to come and and explain. Well, you're right. But as the ISDs are trying to compete with charters, they're developing more Absolutely. choice options themselves, in which case they are going to have to deal with those issues. Yeah, right? they are, which is a good thing. If Well, it's a good thing if they do it the right way. Yes. It's not a good thing if they replicate it, the bad behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but my perspective, I'm always com- coming from the perspective, as are you, of the kid. Like, what's the most fair thing to the totally. kid? Totally. If you're not doing it, we have a problem. I don't care if you're a charter school or an ISD, we're going to go at it. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I agree. 100%. <laughs> I always love sitting down and talking to you. It's fun. And I love watching Rachel behind you. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm having – I'm, I'm sorry I keep mentioning it, but it's no, just I, so I much can, fun for I me. I can see it in the I, corner of my – we should ask her if she has any questions. I know. What else, Rachel? What do you want – what are you thinking? What, are we, what are we not touched on that you'd like? Okay, so I, she really wants – I don't know if you can hear her, yeah. so I'm just going to say it again on the mic. But what she wants to know is like, what are you going to have to fight for to maintain what's already been established? Not like what didn't get done yet, but yeah. what – how do you hold on to I don't, the gains we've made? I don't anticipate a fight because they're formula funded, right? I mean, if it, yeah. if it, that's the big piece. So like pre-K, like four or six years ago, that was a grant that disappeared. Yeah. This is not that. This is, this is not a, a – a sort of a gift set of money. Mm-hmm. This is the system that's now built into the system. In other words, we've added to the skeleton of school finance. I don't think it's going to be a fight at all. I think that um, maybe the tax part might be some of a fight if we don't have the same kind of revenue, um, the same yeah. kind of revenue that we did the last years. There's, not, there's nothing to tell us that we won't. People always ask if there's a recession. I'm like, look, if there's a recession, everyone's going to hurt, right? <laughs> that's not the right question. The question is, are we spending money in a way that keeps up with the way that the state is growing sort of on average? The answer to that question actually is yes. This is this what we're doing here does not outpace um what we're able to spend. It outpaces what we've spent in the past. So we've been yeah. a little more frugal in our spending, but in terms of the money we have available, we're still with money to put into the rainy day fund. Yeah. If we have two years like the last two years or something close to it, the average We'll be okay. So I don't anticipate a fight. I do think we're going to have to find new revenue over time um, because the tax piece is really is expensive. If you're continuing to buy down people's tax rate, that gets super expensive. Running a school and all things yeah. will get more expensive. But the state is also growing. So I, yeah. I, I don't anticipate a fight. I think the fight might be to add more. What happens is sessions take on personalities. So one session, my first session was the transportation session, yeah. the transportation stuff. 
And then last session was a shit show <laughs> with uh, literally with the bathroom bill and yeah. anti-immigrant yeah. SG4 stuff, right? Uh-huh. My fear is that this is going to be the public education session where, honestly, every session needs to be a public education session. Right. Every session needs to rec- needs to demand and have this level of um, sort of attention and enthusiasm. So I think the fight will be just to keep public ed front and center because what could happen is say we dealt we dealt with that last session. Yeah. So we fix that. Yeah, let the, let's we don't need to do any more. You get so no. So what does everybody else need to do between now and then? Um I think that that they need to make sure that they elect people that really care about public ed in more than just their campaign mailers. How do they find that out though? How do you find out if Talk do to you me. really care about <laughs> public ed? Well, but part of it, part of it is, is to ask, ask questions and then follow up. Here's what I tell people to do: ask a question, be ready with your follow up, but also this, and, I, and this is for both friends and people who are hostile. Ask them a question and say, "Can let's say you say, do you care about public ed? Yes, I do, and I give you some platitude about right. teachers and students, yeah. right?" At some point, if they're if they're incumbent, you can ask this question right away. If they're new, ask it. Ask it after they've been elected. Say, can you point me to the thing that you're working on? Point me to the bill. Point me to your yeah. effort. Like, sh- can you point me to the real thing and tell me about that? And if they can't do that, then, then that's where the accountability happens, right? So students will say, "You were going to work on GED," because I told mm-hmm. them I would. Mm-hmm. Recently, I, I ran into one of them, and he said, "Hey." Whatever happened to that GED thing, and where can I look so I can show people what you're doing? Yeah. Luckily, I could do that. But if you're not really doing anything, you're gonna have some, you're gonna have a hard time defending it. Yeah. So, for folks who are really tuned in, it's ask people to point to you and show you the actual work they're doing, the bill that they're supporting, the bill they're working on, mm-hmm. the bills they filed, um, their voting record. And where do they go to find the people to ask the question? Where they go to find the people, the, mm-hmm. the people themselves should be asking the question. Yeah, no, but where are they going to go run into state elected officials to ask these questions? Well, you know, they're supposed to be easy to find. Um, if they're not, that's a problem, and I think that that's another issue. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be easy to find. So, for example, you know that I do town halls. Right. I'm around. I also do all my own social media. So when people write in, I'll write back, and I have to send I them love links. Your or, social media posts sometimes. A lot of Star they're Wars. Really engaging. <laughs> a lot of Star Wars. <laughs> a lot of superheroes. A lot of NASA. Um, but I think that if you can't get someone to talk with you, that's a problem. What I tell people to do is don't, don't just rush them and ask them a question. Right. Say, Hey, I'm a parent. I want to talk to you about public ed. I've got a six month window. I need you to give me 30 minutes. Sometimes that six months you pick it and I'll be there. Mm -hmm. Because if they won't do that, they just want to talk to you. And that's a different issue. Right, but if you if you're expecting them to be available when you right. show up to Austin or when you just yeah. walk up to their, they're not going to be there. Right. right, but if you say I've got six months or three Anytime months, whatever, it is, in the next six, just months. give me. Th- I want thirty minutes with you, not a staffer, right? Not your nineteen year old intern, right? Nothing against them, but you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. I want thirty minutes with you. If they can't give you that, you've got the wrong person in office, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, which means that you have to really, you have to be. Uh, proactive, right? Like you're going to have to seek them out. You're going to have to make some time in your schedule. You're going to have to find where they are. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I, I prefer that they make themselves available, that they mm-hmm. are they put themselves in a position to be found. But um, I also believe in holding people's feet to the fire, though. It's happened to me. I haven't enjoyed it, but I've 
but that's the job, right? The job is to say, hey. Yeah, I basically made is- you come here today. <laughs> well, you said there was going to be booze. <laughs> there is. It's right. Right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but I, I think that that's part of it, right? Yeah. It's part of our job is to be able to be found. No one's that busy. No state legislator, with the exception maybe of the Speaker, Lieutenant Governor, and Governor is that busy. And even then, if you go to their office, I know for a fact, if you go to Dennis Bonin, Speaker of the House, and you say, Speaker Bonin, I've got six months. I need 30 minutes. That man will give you 30 minutes. He will find 30 minutes. That's cool. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know that everybody knows that or realizes that. Well, he'll do it. What I'm saying is not everyone will do it. Yeah. He will do it. He's He is that guy, right? Um, despite the fact that he's responsible for the entire house. But if you have a rep, a rep, just a lowly state rep like I am, if if these people cannot find 30 minutes, it doesn't be six months, it'd be three. It'd yeah. Be two, right? But if they can't find 30 minutes, it's something else is amiss. Yeah. Like well, thanks for amiss. finding time. I like that word. It's a good yeah. word. Thanks for finding time for us. Sure. No, no problem. Plus, it's, it's it's only a week out, so I haven't even. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fresh. Yeah. I mean, it's no all one, fresh. No one's looking for me right now. <laughs> Except us. Right, yeah. Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> did I, did you want to pitch another one? Yeah. So the question was, how do we get to healthcare and Medicaid and other, th- other things? It's so children? many different things. It's um, never one thing, right? It's not what, like you can pull. That's what I said. It's all knotted up. You pull on one thing, everything else gets a little bit tighter. I mean, you have to keep pulling on from different angles. So two things. The, che- the, the cheap and easy answer is elections have consequences, right? Absolutely. You put people in office who care about those things. Those things happen really quick. Guys, you got to vote. Yeah, but the other, You but can't the other, not vote. But the other that's thing the is bottom this, line. Uh, but there is something else, right? And there is there is letting people know what your priorities are. Yeah. Because that did happen. So this is still a Republican controlled legislature and yet we did significant Guys, we school do love finance. Republicans just No, but my I love you. My point is that <laughs> that the Republicans heard from Texas yes. loud and clear that school finance was was a priority and then in a Republican led legislature we did it. I'm yeah, giving Republicans exactly. credit, right? Yes. I'm giving them credit for doing this. Um you know, the Speaker of the House made it a priority. It, it, the, the bill came out of the House. The governor had the commission on school finance, which they thought was stupid, turned out to be awesome. I'm giving them credit for that. <laughs> my, my point is the state as a whole has to find a way to let people know what their priorities are. And if you want to make sure that we no longer lead the nation right. in uninsured children, then you have to let them know that, one, that matters to you and that it matters enough for you to affect the way that you're going to vote because they will respond to that. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Not, it sounds easy. It's not. But um, – you know, people are representative is supposed to be um, a job description, not a title. And if you let them know what your priorities are, then they will do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I really, really think people get sort of building centric wherever you are. That's what you care about. But I really think it's so important to also step out and step into other conversations, bigger conversations, like and the, let people know what it's it like is. The, the air conditioning thing that we did. Right? Yes, I mean, totally. That, that's not a state thing. No, but but it's a big deal, went to the and city, it matters. Like, you guys, you need to fix this, and we just got all. We say I would go on home visits, <laughs> and you would have these um, daisy chains of extension cords. Yeah. That were coming all out of one apartment so that everybody else in their wing right. could have fans on, could have I mean, that's not okay. Right. That's no way to live. But like, getting in getting involved in that, it's not it's not purely a state issue. And so we just said, Look, we know about this, we're focused on it, we're gonna fix it one way or another. City you gonna help us or not? And the city did. Um, so they're installing ACs now. But that's it's not cool. that's not my that's not my right. wheelhouse. I mean advocacy is my wheelhouse, but 
theoretically it's not in the so, state so legislature. So you got to tell your story too. Like you have to be able to articulate what you're seeing and experiencing to the people. That's the point, right? Mm-hmm. You have to know your story, own your story, and be able to tell that story again. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.